A reading from the Gospel. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, Jesus' parents, brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed And a sword will pierce your own heart too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanal, of the tribe of Asher, who was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew strong, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favour of God was upon him. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. This is it. This is the first time anybody's seen it this close who's still alive. I've got two questions. Why is it there? Well, we can't see it. And the other question, oh, no, I can't answer that one. The other question is, why this? As Jeffrey said, the brief was that it had to be a subject of religious significance. Why did he choose this? Well, I've no idea of that either, but here's my take. It's a sacred act, a sacred ritual taking place in a sacred space. And I'm guessing that Maxwell, along with his contemporaries, saw this building that was about to be built or that was about to be finished as a sacred place. Many people have, many people do. In its sort of neo-Gothic approach, it links back to the great cathedrals of Europe and the idea of deep time and sacred space. And sacred spaces are wonderful because they're countercultural. They're completely useless. They're not good for making money. They don't count 
in our schemes of the way we do our economics. They're just places that are present. And their purpose is to be. Well, we're not used to that. We're used to things that can be, you can make money from or you can do things with. But sacred places aren't like that. What's even more extraordinary is the Christian church has said since the beginning of time and has, as has our Jewish forebears, that the earth is a sacred place. It turns out it's not for making money. It's for being. And we're just beginning, hopefully, before we poison ourselves to rediscover that. It's literally priceless. You can't put a price on it. Sacred space is countercultural. And I think sacred ritual is the same. The ritual that Mary and Joseph and Jesus participate in goes back 700 years before Jesus was born, back into the deep past. It reminded the Israelites that the world belongs to God, what we say every week in our call to worship. It's a countercultural statement. It's not ours, we're its custodians. Our life on earth is a gift. We just turned up. We're breathing because of the gift of life. There is something greater and deeper beyond and that ritual is supposed to remind us of that. It helps us acknowledge our links with the past generations. 700 years in the case of Joseph and Mary. Here, a hundred and years beyond that. It reminds us to be serious about our lives, that they are a serious gift to us, and it gives us courage to continue to act as full human beings. That's what ritual should do at its best. The problem with this one, this story, is the whole thing goes off the rails. Because we know how ritual's supposed to go. The guy with the white dress up the front is supposed to do it. That's why we have guys like me. But here, Simeon, who's a man from Jerusalem, just turns up and he starts talking. He's a non-official voice. He's outside of the hierarchy. Priests are supposed to do this job, not him. And it gets worse. Anna, who is a prophet, turns up. Well, prophets all the way through Jewish history have been in opposition to the temple. They've had different narratives about what it means to be a good Hebrew. And they've been constantly in dialogue and mostly in conflict. So what is Anna doing in the temple? It's all gone off the rails. Not only is Simeon an unorthodox, unauthorised voice, but Anna is an oppositional outside voice. And look what they say. They're disruptive. They're messy. They tell inconvenient truth. Anna begins by praising God. Simeon begins with a light for revelation to the Gentile and glory to your people Israel. And then terrible truths about swords and opposition and inner thoughts being exposed. Ritual renewal is what's going on here. The renewal, the reimagining of language to make a, the, the real 
the present moment real. And of course the Gospels have been doing this all the way through. The Gospels insist on calling Jesus Son of God and Saviour of the world. The very words chiselled into buildings all over the world, spoken about the Emperor. That's who is supposed to be the Saviour of the world. That's who is supposed to be the Son of God. But they've reimagined the world. They've done an unconventional, subversive act simply by saying those things. And that's what's going on here. It's a re-examining of ritual. If it's not, it becomes a simplistic message. And it's not ritual, it's just propaganda. Australia Day is Australia Day and it's Invasion Day. And if it's not both then it's just propaganda by one group or another, isn't it? Stan Grant has been telling us this for years, that we have to build together what it means to have been here 60,000 years and what it means to have been here 200 years. That if we reimagine the words, then we can reimagine what it means to be human and in this particular case, what it might mean to be Australian. And Anzac Day, which is not far away, the same thing. Yes, it's a day of heroics. Yes, it's a day of sacrifice and bravery. And it's a day of the horror of war and all the mistakes and the fact that war itself is a failure. Once we've gotten to getting out the knives, we've already failed. We need to hear all of those voices. We need to reinvent those things all the time. And of course the church, oh goodness, we're the worst culprits. We stick to the old language as if God told us to say these things over and over again. Instead of reinventing it, recreating it for our moment. If we're going to continue to put our time and treasure into these old buildings, we can't do it just for heritage sake or nostalgia. It's too late for that. They must always be places out of which community grows. Where we ritually reenact, as we do here every Sunday, things that we hold to be true. And I think they could be succinctly put in the words of Cardinal Basil Hume, the great British Cardinal, long dead now, 20 years dead, when he said, We believe that every human being is made in the image and likeness of God and possesses a dignity and value which can never be taken away. That as children of the one God, we are one family with mutual responsibility for each other. If we don't have rituals that reenact that and retell that in new ways all over and over and over, we're lost. We do need to be linked with those who have said that before. We need to be linked with those who are saying it now, the work we do here at the Spire community. It needs to give us courage to be serious about our lives and serious to act. So what we do here, with a kind of a revision of the idea of the presentation of the temple, when we baptise children, each time we do it, a whole bunch of different people come. Some we see often, some we never see again. But we don't care. I mean, obviously it would be lovely if they came a little more often. That would be nice. But we don't care why they're here. Because we know why we're here. We're here to say each time a child turns up that we are welcoming a new person into the world. Regardless of their gender, their politics, their sexuality, 
their ethnicity, the colour of their skin, this person is a child of God. And we splash water on them and we sing and we say, this is what it means to be human. Everyone in. Whether you've been here a couple of months and turn up as a baby, whether you've been here 60,000 years, whether you've been here 200 years, whether you've been here nine years stuck in a hotel room, we're either all of us or we're none of us. That's the power of ritual. That might be, that might be, even though it's so far up on the wall, the power of this wonderful sculpture. Thanks, Pete.